Catechism, Lord's Day 44, questions 113 and 114 and 15, page 80. Question 113. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? Answer. That even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts. But that at all times we hate our sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. 114. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? Answer no, but even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. Yet so that with a sincere resolution they begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. 115. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? And the first, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. So far, looking back on the Ten Commandments, looking back, we preached on the Ten Commandments tonight on the 10th, and also looking back, three thoughts. The last, but not the least, of the commandments. Secondly, perfectly keeping the commandments. In the third place, strictly preaching the commandments. So, looking back on the commandments, the last but not the least of the commandments. Secondly, perfectly keeping the commandments, which is impossible. And in third place, strictly preaching the commandments, which is still important. Thou shalt not covet. We know that, we hear that every Sunday. What does it mean? What is covet? There is no meaning that covet is desire. Thou shalt not desire. Not desire? Is it wrong to desire? Desire health and desire to go to church and desire to read the Bible and what's wrong with desire? Well, we need to read into, into context. Not desiring is so wrong, but desiring the things of our neighbor. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's house. It's all okay to desire a house, the roof of your head. If you desire a house, young people, they look for a house, 
It's wrong to desire a house? Of course not. But to have to desire the house of your neighbor. In envy, in jealousy, thou shalt not covet, not, not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's manservant, thy neighbor's maidservant, thy neighbor's ox, thy neighbor's ass, donkey. So that's what it means, covetousness. Covetousness is sinful in three ways. In the first place, we covet things of our neighbor in jealousy. We want the same as he has. We can't stand it that he has more. That is, we compare. It's the first way of sinning against it. Secondly, if we desire the wrong things, desire to kill someone, desire to lie, and even if you don't do it yet, the desire itself is sin already. And in the third place, if you desire things over God, you can even desire children and preaching and writing and reading and so many things, desiring them over the Lord. Those more important than the Lord is. That's coveting. Often we hear about coveting money. It's not only money, not only greed. It's also coveting fame and coveting things over God. So we read in the Bible in Mark 7 where the covetous comes from. What do you think? What is the heart of the covetousness? Of covetousness? What, is, what is the real thing in the heart? It is within, right? For from within, within, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness. Covetousness is mentioned in Mark 7 as something that's in our hearts. We are born with it. We, it characterizes us. We are. We are covetous people. We have that wickedness in our hearts. And then read on in Mark 7. Theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile man. So covetousness is something in you and it is polluting us. It is defiling us. It makes us ugly. It makes us unclean. Now you probably knew that regarding other sins. Fornication is polluting and wickedness is giving stains on your soul, blasphemy, pride, but even covetousness to desire things over the Lord and desire things of our neighbor and desire things the wrong is, although you don't do anything, you think about it, you desire it, it's a sin. In Jewish orthodoxy, they don't see it that way. Orthodox Jews, most of them, view the sin of covetousness as not as a sin. They say, if you only desire it, and as long as you don't do it, you're fine. So don't act on it. 
you feel something of a desire for, to, for, for theft, or for murder, for adultery, stop yourself. As long as you stop yourself, you're fine. You have not sinned yet. It's not true. Even the desire already is a sin. We read in the Bible some extremes about that. Extreme desire, extreme lust. Two examples. 2 Samuel 13. Came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, and had a fair sister, whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, her stepbrother, Amnon, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he felt sick for his sister Tamar. He was sick of such a lust, such a desire for that beautiful stepsister. And he raped her. And he was killed for that by Absalom. What a mess in the family of David. What a desire, what a sinful desire vexed us. He was Vexed, so vexed that he felt sick for her. Or think of King Ahab. He spoke to Naboth, his neighbor, that the field next to the property of the palace that he was owning, and he said to Naboth, I want to buy that piece of property from you. So close to my palace, I'd like to have a herb garden there, and what do you want? Do you want another piece of property, of real estate somewhere else? I can find something for you that's even better. Or would you like to have the money? But Naboth did not want to part from that piece of property. It was the heritage of his fathers, as we call it. And Naboth refused. And Nahab came to his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. He had said, I will not give the, the inheritance of my fathers. I'm not doing it. And Ahab laid down upon his bed and turned away his face and would not eat, would eat no bread. His wife came and said, what's the matter with you? And she said, I will take care of it. And as you know the story, she hired some evil men and they accused him from, from, for blasphemy and they, they, they stoned Nabal and he took his piece of property. The, the, the background was that strong desire in Ahab's heart, I have to have this. He dreamt about it. He, he, he visualized his eyes, his, his beautiful garden around the palace he had to have that. But the sin against the Tenth Commandment is not only so, always so extreme. It's sometimes subtle. Sometimes just a little jealousy. I want that house myself. I want to have that equipment myself. I want to have that job myself. I want to have that husband myself. I want to have that, you name it. Maybe not so strong, but still in the heart. And it's, it's covetousness. 
the Lord Jesus spoke about as well and also used the word covetousness, Luke 12. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Beware, it's dangerous. Be careful. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he spake a parable unto them, saying. So the Lord Jesus first said, beware of covetousness, it's dangerous, it's, after, it's going, going, going after you, you have to be on your guard and be alert and fight it and flee from covetousness. And then Lord Jesus said, be, be, beware of it, and then he gave an example in a parable. Do you want to know the parable? You know it. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. A farmer, and this time the harvest was this extreme, it was a bumper crop. And he did not know what to do with all the grain and all the fruits. So he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room there to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I know it. This will I do. I will, I will pull down my barns, the old barns, and build greater ones, bigger ones. Then will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Anything wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with that. If you have a huge harvest, you need to be stored, you need to, you need to keep it somehow. You need a new seed, no, no, no silo or a new, a new barn or something else. That's, that's normal. But then I will say to my soul, soul thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, be merry, enjoy it. And that goes wrong, right? To have extreme joy in the things the Lord has given, to, uh, to desire things over God, to enjoy things that you have received over God, to say, Lord, we thank thee for all those things, and then to enjoy them so much that it's more important than God himself. So that was the problem. Take thine ease, Eat and drink and rejoice in your life and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? See? The Lord Jesus warned against that. We should seek the kingdom of God first and its righteousness. So let me show you a few texts from the Bible warning against covetousness. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's serious. That's beautiful also, beautifully said. He that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. It's okay to be rich, so we should, but, we should, but we should especially see the real riches in the Lord, in his service, in the Lord Jesus, treasuring him, adoring him, highly esteeming him, lifting him up, 
so that he's more important than anything else. So maybe you can check your own life. Are you rich? Have you been blessed in many ways? How do you experience that? Is it now more important than the Lord is? Have you laid up treasures for yourself? Are you not rich towards God? So all those things will be taken away from us. And then we have nothing left. Or think of Solomon, who spoke in Proverbs on this subject many times. Remove, he said, Lord, remove. Far, remove far from me. Vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So David, someone said, Lord, don't make me poor. I, I, that is dangerous. And also, don't make me rich. May I just be average. May I just have a reasonable amount of money and uh, property to be able to live comfortably. So remove vanity and lies. Don't give me that poverty. Feed me with the food convenient for me. That's average. And don't we also pray about that? Give us this day our daily bread. Do you need that? Do you dare to ask for more? Do you dare to say, Lord, I, I, I want that deal. I want to be able to build that huge house. I want to be able to afford that special car, that huge truck. Do you dare to pray for that? Do you dare to pray for uh, your business growing and growing and growing? That's wrong. Don't do that. The Lord may bless you, but don't, you don't have to ask for those blessings. Blessed as, as the blessing of no poverty, no riches. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let us see we seek after. And all these things shall be added unto us. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy. But godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He may have, he may, he may have, may have God and Christ as the Savior and forgiveness of sin and the true peace in the heart and the future with the Lord. Then you have everything for your soul that should give contentment. It should be enough. My grace be sufficient unto thee. The Apostle Paul heard when he was complaining about the sting in his flesh, the form in his flesh. Covetousness. Covetousness makes us unclean. Not only sexual impurity or murder, covetousness in our thinking pollutes us. Ephesians 5 verse 3 says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint. Don't even name it. Let's just stay, stay away from it. Stay far from it. 
Don't even come close to it. Don't come close to that sin of impurity, that sin of fornication, the sin of uncleanness, because it's the same as, it's close to covetousness. That is as sinful as fornication is. Do you see it that way? Do you think that fornication is way more serious than greed? It's not. It's both the same. Mortify therefore your members. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, Mortify and kill your members, your sinful members, which are upon earth, namely, kill the fornication and kill the uncleanness and kill the inordinate affection and kill the evil concupiscence and, and covetousness. Kill it! Nip it in the bud. Fight it. Flee from it. Evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. So desiring things like you desire things your neighbor has, or do you desire the wrong things, or desire things over the Lord, that's idolatry. Someone says, Minister, idolatry is the first commandment, not the ten. You're right. The first commandment is about adultery. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's idolatry if you serve other gods instead of God and prefer them over him. That's idolatry. Idolatry is a sin against the first commandment. And yet the tenth commandment has something similar in it. Coveting is also idolatry. It is coveting things over God. So let your conversation, that means that your walk, in King James, let your walk be without covetousness. Just live without that. that. That should not be part of your life. And be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So the Apostle Paul connects this to trusting in the Lord. If you trust in him, if you have faith in him, if he is your father, if you rely on him also in daily life, you don't have to be covetous. You don't, you don't need it. You don't need more. Then you can be content. Say, the Lord will care for me. Lord, he, he, he will not leave me. He will not forsake me. So think of yourself what is it that you're lately thinking about? What do you want to buy? What, you, what is your goal? Where do you want to be five, ten years from now? Do you have a plan? Say, I want this and this. Have a plan and you dream about it. How you can increase your riches. How you can develop. And how you can proceed with the thing you started. But also ask yourself the question where is the limit isn't it the time that you have to say it's enough now I don't need more I don't need to increase riches it's, it's fine the way it is covetous is even dangerous do you, do you know it's dangerous 
but they that will be rich, that won't be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It drowns people easily. Think of that other parable of the seed, children. The seed fell on four different places, remember? It fell on stony places, right? And the birds came and just picked all the grain up and was gone and could not germinate. And another part fell among the thorns. And another part fell on in a thin layer of topsoil where it just quickly germinated and looked so promising. And then the sun came up and dried all up and nothing left. But back again among the thorns, among, among the weeds. And the weeds were growing. And the weeds were choking. Choking the seed. Choking the young plants. They took over. Those weeds, are, they, they can easily take over in the garden if you don't be careful. And that is the riches of this life. The deceitfulness of riches can so easily choke your impressions. Choke your seriousness and choke what you have learned from the Bible and choke the sermons that had some impact on you. Just chokes it. So don't choke the impressions the Lord gives you. Don't choke the seeds the Lord sows in your heart. They will be rich to temptation and a snare and to many foolish and hurtful lusts is drawn into perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows also much money often makes, brings sorrow and concerns and a burden on you Lots of stress. So you're called to flee from it. To run away from it. Not just walk away. Flee from it. With all men of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness. And godliness. And faith. And love. And patience. And meekness. So there's lots of work to do. You don't need to be bored. Fight the good fight of faith. Behold, only eternal life, wherein too thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So covetous, we have to fight it, and to flee from it, to combat it. Now how to combat covetousness? What is a good means, a good, what is helpful in fighting and fleeing from covetousness? Well, Meditate on what you have. Meditate on Christ. Meditate on who he is, the Lord Jesus. What a rich that will be. If, if he is your savior, how rich would that be? Just detail that for yourself. Think it through for yourself. Ponder that different type of riches and consider the promises the Lord has for believers. That he will never, never forsake them, that they don't need to be 
so rich and affluent. Consider what death means. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing on. Think about that. Working so hard, being so busy, being so involved in things, being so smart in those things, putting all your energy into it, and then at the end of your life, just give it back to the next generation, maybe. But it's not yours anymore. Consider it. Consider what, the, what heaven is like and the kingdom of God. Consider salvation. Who is your treasure? What makes you content? Read the Bible and pray. Pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, deliver me from that covetousness that's in my heart. Thou shalt not covet. First thought. Let's go to the second one. Perfectly keeping the commandments. Question 114. But can, can those who are converted, God's people, perfectly keep these commandments, the tenth and the first and the second and all of them? Can God's people perfectly keep the commandments of God? This is the question. Now, some people say, yes. Some people say, no. Some people say, unconverted ones cannot. God's people can be perfect. God's people have a new heart. Because they have a new heart, they can also easily do that. Because it's, it's possible. Well, he says No. It's impossible. And then important is the word perfect in the Bible. Ever studied that? Ever thought about perfection in the Bible? Maybe want to study that tonight or tomorrow. Go to a concordance, look at the perfect, and look up all the text with the perfect in there, and just try to understand those words perfect. Here are a few of them. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Was he perfect? Let me part that. We'll come back to that. And Abraham, when Abraham was 90 years old, 90 years old and nine, the Lord spoke to him. And said, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. So Noah was perfect, and the Lord said to Abraham, Be perfect. So is he able to be perfect then? The Lord said, Be perfect. When the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. 
and the God of love and peace shall be with you. So Noah was perfect, Abraham had to be perfect, and the Apostle Paul agrees with that, says, finally, brethren, brethren, be perfect. And in Philippians 3, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. I'm not perfect, but I follow after. So sometimes we say, you see, the gospel are perfect and should be perfect and are encouraged to be perfect. And then the Apostle Paul says, I'm not saying that I am perfect. Around John 4, 17, Heaven is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. So he says, our love, our love is made perfect. So what is it now? Are God's people sometimes somehow perfect or not perfect? Should they be perfect? Should we ask Perfection should be preserved so strictly that we say you have to be perfect. Revelation 3 Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. I'm missing something, it's not perfection. There's something like that sinks in that is serious. The Lord saying to the congregation, thy works are not found perfect before God. That's quite a blame. So let me try to explain it. In one way, God's people are perfect. Right? We all know that from catechism classes and confession class. That's justification is always perfect. Forgiveness is always perfect. Forgiveness is not available for 50% or 90%. It's everything or nothing. Justification is perfect. Complete forgiveness of all my sins. And that's true for all God's people. They know it or they know it not. But it's true for all God's people that they have forgiveness. Perfect forgiveness. Complete forgiveness of all their sins. So justification is perfect. But sanctification, we always learn and teach, is imperfect. There's always something. Always something wrong. Always some stains on there. It's never whole. It's never completely according to God's will. Always problems with that. We can't do anything perfect. God's people are perfect in Christ, but they cannot be perfect themselves. They cannot live without sin, can they? Can, can, can God's people stop sinning? Can they be perfect? They cannot. And yet, and yet, sometimes we read in the Bible, be perfect, and that some are perfect, like Noah. He was perfect. What does it mean then? Does it mean that he was forgiven? More. You know, when the Lord gives a new heart, 
He gives a new man, a new will. You become a different person. And the old man keeps sinning. But the new man does not want to sin. That new man refuses to sin. That new man hates to sin. That new man is new. That new man is the work of the Holy Spirit. That new man is perfect. The old man is not. Now put the new man and the old man together in one body. Is the person perfect? No. Sold under sin, right? And although sold under sin, that new man is perfect. Proof? Lots of proof in Romans 7. For the good that I would, I do not. See that? I don't do it, but I want it. I want to do good, but I don't do good. So that you see the old man and the new man. And the new man says, the good that I would, that I want, I do not. But the evil which I would not, I don't want it. There's perfection. I don't want it. And yet I do it. There's imperfection. For that which I do, I allow not. What I would that I do not. What I hate that do I. So the new man hates sin and resists sin, but the old man is also present and fights against it and sometimes has the overhand. We read even in verse 17, Now then, it's no more I that do it. No more I that do it. I don't sin anymore. Sin is perfection. Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So that sin dwelleth in me that is not perfect. But that's not me. Now, it's no more I to do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So the Apostle Paul says, when I sin, I don't sin. The sin that's in me doesn't. But, but, I, but I don't do it. I, I, I don't want it. I don't want to sin. It's the new man. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. So I would do good. I am perfect. But that evil is present with me. And that spoils it and makes always a problem with it. So Zechariah Eugenius, the main author of the Hypercatechism, also had that struggle, right? Because he also knew from the Bible that in Romans 7 it speaks about the new man that is perfect. So he wrote about it as well. Can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. But even the holiest man but in this life have only a small beginning of disobedience yet 
show that with a sincere resolution, they begin to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. So there's that sincerity. There's that uprightness. There is that change. So the holiest man, although the old man bothers them constantly, and consequently they have only a small beginning of no obedience, yet they begin to obey all the commandments, not only some. It's the whole packet. It's not so that they pick and choose and that they're imperfect in the sense of that they just let some sins grow as weeds and others are taken out. No, they fight all sin. That is the new man doing. So God's children, as long as they're in this life, are not perfect. But yet, in justification they are. And yet, they see God's will in all his commandments. And the new man is willing to obey them, but the old man is spoiling it. small beginning. You know, some have commented on this portion of the Heidelberg Catechism, especially 114. Some say this is too negative. Too negative. God's people, the holiest of God's people, this is Apostle Paul, or who, who is it? And this, the, the holiest only a small beginning? That's so negative. But it's reality. It's reality that the old man is always present. The old man is always spoiling it, and there's no perfection in his life. Is that also true in your life? Have you begun to fight all sins? Are there certain sins you don't fight? You say, ah, oh, nobody knows. Who cares? It's not important. I don't see the problem. And you know in your conscience that it's a sin, but you just continue with that sin. You don't fight it. You just give in to the sin all the time. That's a sign of that you're unconverted, right? That means that you are not fighting. If you're not fighting it, you just let it go. There's a leak in the ship. And God's children are not perfect at all. But they are sincere. They are not hypocrites. And they are honest to God. And honestly, God's people fight all sins. Some are the bosom sins. Not easy for them to fight them, but they do. They fall to sins. Yes, they do. But they get up again and just keep fighting and repent again. So do you fight? Do you, are you engaged in that, in that war? Can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. Yet the holiest is only beginning. Yet they are sincere. 
and continue to seek the Lord's kingdom. Brings me to the third thought, strictly preaching the commandments. Congregation, what is the danger of someone being converted by the Lord recently and receiving some insight and forgiveness and having a life that changed and people notice it, that person is a different person, what's the danger? The danger is that a person becomes proud. He becomes, in his own eyes, a godly man, a godly woman, and begins to just grow a little bit. You know, the Lord is hurting my heart. The Lord comforts me once in a while. I've seen something of Jesus. I've gone to the Lord's supper table. And they are in the lift. They're growing. That's the danger. And one of the reasons why we have to strictly preach the law yet is to prevent God's people to grow so fast and to increase so much. They need to be kept low. They need to be kept humble. They need to be kept broken. They need to be kept poor in spirit. The likes and his people really depend upon him, and they are also humble. Question 115. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached since no man in this life can keep them. First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature. See that? Some people think that when the Lord gives conversion, the Lord gives a huge amount of knowledge of their sins overwhelmingly. And then in course of time, that is less and less and less and less, or at least no more. That's not true. The Lord gives knowledge of sin in order to make room for the Lord Jesus. That's right. But in course of time, it becomes more. They begin to realize more what sin actually is. And they, they receive more insight into the abomination of it. And how vile it is. And how unthankful it is. And they become also more and more to understand who, who they themselves are. And they have less trust in themselves. They don't trust themselves anymore. And become more and more dependent upon the Lord. So that's why the Lord says to the preachers, Keep preaching that law about the Ten Commandments and also thou shalt not covet. Let me sharp and pointy and stick that sword in the heart, so to speak. Convince them. It, 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 it won't harm them. It won't harm God's people to know more of their own sins. That is something that should progress, not stand still. So do you know something of God's grace? Compare now and 10 years ago. Maybe 10 years ago you were also on the same road, on the new road. Is there any difference? Have you learned more? Have you learned more of yourself? Learned more of your sins? Have you become more disappointed with yourself? Or are you more proud than before. 
The Lord wants you to be more humble, more dependent, more on your knees, more struggling, holier. So first, that our lifetime that doesn't stop our lifetime, we may learn more and more, not more, but more and more, to know our sinful nature. Just be open to that. Be open to understanding more of your sinful nature. And thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. So in course of time to seek more of the righteousness of Jesus. But, minister, we are talking about God's people. They, they know Christ. And they have forgiveness. They, all the sins are forgiven. And if they know that, then they don't need to know it again. They know it already. Well, you know the most perfect prayer, right? The Lord Jesus taught his disciples. And what's one of the petitions? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But do you have to ask that? They begin with our Father is in heaven. If someone can say our Father, you don't have to ask for forgiveness anymore, do you? Yes, you do. God's people, in course of time, Seek more and more of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. So this knowledge of sin becomes more profound, but also the knowledge of Jesus. The more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ, to have more profound desire for forgiveness and to know it again and to be confirmed about it. So that's why we see as, as footnote here, footnote 5, Romans 7:24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So God's people, they keep sinning, and the law keeps condemning them, so they, they know more of their sins, so they desire more of Christ. And likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God. So to know more of your sins, to know more of Christ, and to live a holy life. Does it ring a bell? The three things? That's the, that's the catechism, right? Misery, deliverance, thankfulness. So Lord come with the law and strictly, it must be strictly preached to know more of that sin and misery and to know more of Christ and to have more holiness. So that means it is that constant endeavor, if it is well, a constant endeavor, the doing your best, doing your utmost. And to keep praying not to pray that, not, not without prayer being living a holy life, but in prayer, 
asking the Lord for the grace of the Holy Spirit so we may become more and more conformable to the image of God. So God doesn't want his people to be independent and just work hard themselves. But Lord wants them to have that knowledge of sin, that knowledge of righteousness in Christ, and to depend upon the Holy Spirit because they themselves cannot live a holy life. God's people cannot. They depend upon the Lord. And they're endeavoring and praying, Lord, maybe holier, maybe smaller, maybe guiltier, may I understand more about of the abomination, may I also so increase in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. What about Ephesians 4? But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So ask the question before, 10 years ago, and now, do you know more of your own sins in misery? Now this question, between 10 years ago and now, has the knowledge of Jesus increased? You see more precious? Have you seen more details? You see more beauty in him? That's the purpose. You see more in him. To grow up into him in all things, that he may walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It says in Colossians 1. It's, it's everywhere. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. The Apostle write to the Thessalonians. Again, we are bound. I just feel the urgency. I, I, I'm bound. We are bound to thank God always for you. Why? Brethren, as it is me, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. And the charity of every one of you all towards each other aboundeth. So Paul writes to, to the Thessalonians that he's always thanking God for them because their faith is just exceedingly growing and their abundance, also abundance of love in this congregation. So you almost could hardly believe it's in the Bible, right? But it's, it's in the Bible. So that, is, that means that it, there is that possibility. There's the possibility of to grow exceedingly in grace. And it's possible to abound in love. And the Lord has given for that reason the law. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. See? Think about it. 
So God's children have a small beginning in obedience. And they should be more dependent. But there is that possibility of growing in grace. And there's the possibility of having more assurance and more love and more insight. So don't think it's normal to have just a little understanding of yourself in Christ. There's so much more to know. And that's why the Lord has given us the law, to put pressure on us, put pressure on his people. Thou shalt not covet, but covet all things. Covet righteousness, covet faith, covet Jesus, covet heaven, covet the good things. You don't covet sin. You don't cover things of your neighbor. You don't cover things so much that they are more important than God. That's idolatry. To be conformed to the image of God, resembling God, right? Like in paradise. Till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. So that perfection is future, we see. It's proposed in the future and will be given to his people. So they won't be perfect here. Not in many ways. But finally they will be. And then they will glorify God to the highest. And the Lord will rejoice in his people and God's people rejoice in him. Amen.